Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hi, this is Nadine Dietz, host of CMO Moves. I just wanted to take a quick moment to say thanks so much for stopping by today and to give you a quick overview on what to expect. CMO Moves is all about game-changing leaders, their incredible journeys, the moves that they've made, and most importantly, their personal stories of how they got to be the leaders of some of the world's most exciting brands. I hope you'll enjoy their stories as much as I do and take away a few tips and some inspiration for your day. Enjoy the show. Hello and welcome to CMO Moves. Today I am talking with Brad Haley, who is the CMO of IHOP. Brad, hi and welcome to the show. Hi Nadine, it's great to be here. It is great to have you here. Well, technically I'm sitting in San Francisco and you are in LA today? Yes, Glendale is where IHOP is headquartered. Wonderful. Too bad we're not sitting together, but uh, I've been waiting for this day and I want to talk to you about some of the cool things that you've been doing while you've been in this role. But um, Tell me why you decided to take on this role to begin with. IHOP is the leader in the family dining segment of the restaurant industry. So, so it's got a lot of scale, but the brand's been around for 62 years. And um, while there's a lot of love for the brand, it had become sort of a latent love. And the brand had kind of uh, lost some of the relevance that it had once enjoyed. So the challenge for me, which I saw as a really fun challenge, was to kind of activate that latent love and get the brand back to its uh, rightful place in pop culture. So that was the kind of assignment was was very hard for me to turn down. Yeah. Well, and where did you come from into this role? Well, most recently I was with CKE Restaurants where I was the CMO on their Carl's Jr. and Hardy's brands. But that was coming up on three years now. Wow. Ago. Okay. Very cool. So you know a thing or two about uh, restaurants, uh, for sure. I, I do indeed. <laughs> <laughs> and you were talking about really being integrated in pop culture, and I know that's something you've been very focused on and have a passion for. Tell me a little bit about how you approach that. Well, it's besides kind of the, the traditional tools of advertising for us, uh, it, it's important to have kind of periodic activations and probably the most well-known one was the one we did in 2018, which was the IHOB campaign, the faux name change we did for the brand to help launch our burgers. And that one was um, that one was obviously one of those rare things that happens every so often in any industry that uh, that broke through with over 42 billion earned media impressions, I think 27,000 or so media stories, one of a bunch of awards for us this year. But the main thing that it did for us is it, it increased... Uh, people's ratings of the brand's momentum. And from all the insights work we've done, 
a brand's momentum, particularly in kind of a, a sort of a legacy chain restaurants and in a family dining or even casual dining segment is a big motivator for people to visit a restaurant. So it's not just kind of a feel good thing. It's actually something that has a, has a serious and significant influence on people's desire to want to visit you. You know, it's interesting because we talk a lot about things like net promoter score, but you're talking about brand momentum, which actually has movement in it. Can you describe what that is for people who are listening? Sure. Well, it, it's, it's kind of a combination of several answers to, to survey questions. And we have a brand tracking study, as many brands do. But, but probably the most salient question in terms of people's feelings or ratings of brand momentum is how they answer a question of, uh, is the brand on its way up? And to, to the degree people feel like it is a brand on its way up as opposed to stagnant or on its way down, that has a, has a direct influence on their desire to want to go there, as you might imagine. Absolutely. And you were talking about the fact that you had $42 billion in earned media impressions. Yeah, 42 That's amazing. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and, and tell me a little bit about that. Like, I mean, obviously it's earned, but how did you even approach this whole concept to begin with? Well, we knew that it, obviously we're kind of America's breakfast and pancake place. So we knew there was a big opportunity for us to sort of develop that PM day part, we call it kind of everything after breakfast. And working with our agency, Droga5, who had we recently uh, named uh, Agency of the Decade, by the way, as I'm sure you know, yes. uh, we worked with them on, on kind of the optimal creative strategy to get people to kind of think a little bit differently about the brand. And the creative strategy we came up with was uh, the goal really was to convince the world that we take our burgers as seriously as we take our pancakes. And if you think about it, what kind of better manifestation of that strategy than to tell the world we were changing our name from IHOP for pancakes to IHOB for burgers. And obviously that generated uh, a lot of dialogue and, and we encouraged that. We, we teased the campaign for a week and encourage people to guess what the B could be. So there was kind of a fun game uh, aspect to it that I think was very engaging and that helped kind of propel it to this huge earned media juggernaut that it turned out to be. And you said you teased it for a whole week and people made guesses as to what the B would be. Do you remember any funny ones that come to mind? <laughs> oh, okay. There were many. A lot, a lot of people uh, thought it was, uh, well, there's some people that took it seriously and they thought, of course, it had to be breakfast or uh, some thought biscuits. Some, some kind of had a hard time thinking outside of that, that, that breakfast box that, that they had put us in. But some people you know, had, had ridiculous names like bananas or bagels or, you know, you name it. But people had fun with it. And that was the kind of the ultimate objective. I love that. And you were talking to me earlier about the fact that, you know, one of the things that you really value in your role are strong partnerships. And you mentioned Droga5 earlier today um, and really enabling them to bring their best work forward. T tell us a little bit about how you approach your relationships with agencies. Sure. Well, you know, over my career, I guess I've always felt that that uh, besides having the very best internal team you can have, having kind of the hottest, most creative agency at the time was also critical to the success of whatever brand I, I was working on at the time. And that served me well over the years, and Droga 5's continued that success in the partnership that uh, we're in right now at IHOP. That's obviously not a novel concept, but I think a lot of people... A lot of senior marketing executives feel that they 
uh, I guess they, they have a hard time letting their ego get out of the way. They feel like they've been doing this a long time and they sh can and should tell the agencies what to do rather than listen to what they have to say. So it's certainly more rewarding for the agencies and, and, and the relationship if if they're given the latitude to be involved in a lot of the decision-making, not just the advertising side, but but we work with them on, on products and calendar, uh, you name it. So they really are an extension of the marketing team and we value their opinion. And again, that, I think that makes it a more enjoyable relationship for them and certainly it's more beneficial for us. But, but again, I think it's hard for some people to kind of get past maybe their bias or their history, direct their agencies. And when you have a great agency, it's kind of a waste of, of time and, and money and effort to, to bring them on board and then, and then tell them what to do as opposed to listen to what they want to do. Mm -hmm. Well, and clearly there are so many great agencies out there and at different moments they shine differently. But w what was it about Droga5 that attracted you to work with them on this particular campaign? Well, they've been on board just over two years now. And I think their experience uh, at the time showed that they were able to work with brands, large brands, small brands, but they also ha had had a very similar to, to our perspective, they had a very strong bias to try to impact culture. So, so one of the things that they'll always bring to us when we talk to them about any new campaign, for example, a new LTO, we're not just going to see creative work, we'll see activation ideas that having a, a real goal of, of driving culture and, and being the kind of thing that, again, people have a hard time avoiding. It's easy, it's easy nowadays to avoid advertising. It's not, it's not very easy to avoid uh, something that really impacts culture. And obviously we don't pursue every one of them. That, that cadence for one would probably be uh, too frequent for, for guests and the media, but, but there's a lot of good ones. So you'll see us pursuing several of them throughout the year. In fact, we have um, one coming up that's just a little too early for me to talk to you about now, Nadine, but in the next month, you'll see it. And I think it'll be a really fun one. Okay. Well, I look forward to seeing what you're up to next. But let's keep walking backwards because you're a CMO now. You mentioned you were CMO at CKE beforehand for Carl's Jr. and Hardee's. Mm -hmm. Did you ever think you'd be a CMO? Was that your career trajectory from day one? Or, or how did you think about your career when you first were setting out? Oh, well, not really. I, my undergraduate studies were, uh, well, I was a biology major and I was a, um, a psychology and a physics minor. So I think I was just interested in, in sort of learning the science behind what made the world work. But I subsequently went back and, and received an MBA and studied, of course, all the business disciplines and realized fairly quickly that marketing was where I wanted to be. It was it not only the nice marriage of the Kind of science and analytics I had studied in my undergraduate years, but it also uh, allowed me to uh, be creative, and that's a, obviously something that I've uh, I value to this day. And it's a, it's a it's a rare kind of a job or role where you get to do kind of work both sides of your brain every day all the time. That's interesting, as you mentioned, you'd like to be creative, um, and you you work with agency partners and obviously value their creativity uh, in the way that you approach those relationships. But, but how did you actually learn the skill sets or the practice of being quote creative? I mean, because those are, some would argue you're either born with it or you're not, um, but can you learn it? And how did you learn it? You know, I think it's a little bit of nature and, and nurture, but I've been in positions where, where I faced adversity through external reasons that, 
the brands or the companies had to overcome in some cases for their very own survival. And when, when you're dealt that kind of a hand, you have almost no choice but to try to be disruptive, to respond in a disruptive way. I think I learned that lesson fairly early in my career and then having the ability to work with against the, some of the top agencies during the, the course of my career uh, was obviously a huge learning opportunity for, for me. And, and I'm, I'm still learning things from, from Droga5 today. Hopefully they're learning a few things from, from me in return. I'm sure they are. Well, and, and that's cool that you mentioned the word being disruptive and especially what you're faced with do or die. So t- tell me how you approach that disruption. I think the, how disruptive you are in some ways is, is in direct relationship to the, the magnitude of the challenge you face. One of the first times it, it, it worked for me in my career was in my jack-in-the-box days. I was not a CMO at the time. Uh, I was in charge of creative for the brand and happened to start uh, two months before their uh, tragic E. coli incident. And the brand was in, in obviously serious shape at that point. It was in a survival mode. So I was able to find a new agency partner actually to launch the Jack's Back campaign, which they're still obviously using to this day. And that, that helped give people a, a new way to think about the brand, which not, not by any means all by itself, but, but it played a big enough role in getting the world to feel differently about the brand and that somebody else was in charge, albeit a fictional, clearly fictional character, but one who was coming in to make things better, make things right, and, uh, and, and be their advocate, if you will. And obviously the campaigns work so well, they're still using it today. But I think it was that result that propelled me from vice president level into uh, into a CMO level. So that is really interesting. And we talked about already you and how you work with your agency partners, but let's talk about your teams. How are you set up today? Well, I have responsibility for, uh, you know, not, not directly, obviously, there's lines of the organization, but advertising, media, uh, brand marketing, regional marketing, public relations, and the culinary group uh, reports to me as well. And there's senior leaders that have responsibility for all of those various pieces and parts of the organization. And we think we've got an excellent team in some cases. Uh, in many cases, the people that were in those roles are still in those roles when I started. I'm not a big believer in coming in and recreating an organization in my own image. If there's good people with good experience that are on the team, then I keep them. May, may try to teach them what I know and guide their development in their career paths. But the team here was very strong and, and most of them are, are still here with few exceptions. And um, so that's been very important to us. It's a diverse team. It's an inclusive team. And both of those values are actually written into the parent company's list of values. Dine Brands is our parent company. I think beyond that, success sort of breeds success. And, and as the brand has done more visible things in culture and our sales results have, we just reported actually this morning, our eighth consecutive quarter of positive comp store sales in a tough restaurant industry in general and a challenging segment within it. So that success kind of breeds success and I think it leads more people and to want to join the team. So that's been gratifying to see as well. That is great to hear because I think you, you know, and share a passion around diversity and inclusion. And I love how you said you don't like to hire in your own image all the time. So how, how do you actually go about ensuring that 
you not only have diversity, but inclusivity on the team. Are you working closely with your potential CHRO, your CEO? Like you said, it was a mandate then and a vision that comes from the parent company all the way down. So how do you think about your role in that? Well, I think all leaders have, have a big role to play in that here. And, and I'd say there's probably two things that most drive that one. We are very concerned about how our team members feel here. So we do multiple kind of engagement surveys every year, just completed one, and the results are being socialized now. So we do them multiple times a year to make sure people feel engaged. And the organization's made many changes based on, on those results, and the results have increased because of those findings. And uh, again, we've made changes and the ratings have gone up, which is what you want to see. I think the other thing that's, I think, a, a, a real positive thing about this organization is those values that I spoke of, including diversity and, and inclusiveness, those are actually half of everyone's evaluations in the company, their, their annual assessments. 50% of them are based on how, how you live and bring to life the values of the organization, not just, it's not just about uh, goals and performance on, a, on the business side. You have to walk the walk when it comes to values. And I think that's a relatively rare thing in the world and, and one that makes us a great organization to be a part of. And I think it leads to greater satisfaction from all of our team members as a result. Okay, so I could spend like an hour with you on that alone because you're the first person who said that that's part of the performance review at a level of 50%, which is hats off. I mean, that's that's great. Um, and, and I promise I won't ask you a thousand questions, but I have to ask one because everybody always asks me this question. How do you actually measure that? Are they being inclusive? Do you have a way to do that? Well, that requires a perceptual one, which is we ask, we ask the team itself if they feel like we're being inclusive and hiring in a diverse way. But, but we also have metrics. We make sure that we, we look at who, who's being interviewed, how we're recruiting people, who makes it into the building to be interviewed. So there's a lot of metrics that we look at that make sure that we're doing the right thing from a recruiting standpoint. And then under each value, there's a variety of kind of specific behaviors that are articulated that help people make sure that for the people that are already part of the team, that, that we're treating them in an inclusive manner. And a lot of that involves literally getting input from all levels of the organization, not just having a sort of a top-down decision-making hierarchy. So we make sure that we reach out to really people at all levels and ask what they think and ask what they recommend so that they not only feel like they're part of the process and part of the decision-making efforts, but they truly are. Well, that's wonderful. I'm so glad that you're leveraging measurement and feedback as part of that. So I, I, I really applaud that. I wish more companies would do that, frankly. Thank you. I can't take credit for it, but I certainly do appreciate it. (laughs) Yes. Well, very important to the health of the culture, for sure. So, Brad, I mean, obviously, you've you've had a lot of home runs and you've learned a lot along the way. Are there any great tips for success that you would share for those who are tuning in? Well, I guess a couple things. I'd say that swinging for the fences is is not something to, to, to shy away from. And that's a muscle that I think not everyone has an experience that really tests them, that gives them the opportunity to either kind of play it safe or try something very radically different. I think beyond that, I'd say, you know, a lot of it, believe it or not, I think is maintaining an even keel and kind of not letting your emotions get in the way of making the right decision. Maybe I owe that to my science background. I'm, <laughs> I don't know, but but I also feel like it's kind of on the other side of the spectrum. I feel like it's it's important to keep things light and fun 
and funny because I think it fosters creativity within the team and it also uh, allows for more open dialogue because I think when people feel more comfortable, they're more willing to think a little bit out of the box and say what they think. And I think I may have picked that up from one of my early mentors in my, in my package goods marketing days. The world of marketing and maybe more pointedly the, the, the world of media today uh, is changing so fast if you're not working on the upper funnel uh, efforts to keep make sure you're reaching out to people that, that may not already be uh, one of the converted. And that's an increasingly challenging thing to try to pull off uh, the funnel, the kind of upper funnel filling efforts in today's media world. So it's more important than ever to be disruptive in your thinking. It's more important than ever to think about how you can impact culture. And, and that's the luxury that not every brand can do. But but even a small brand without much of a budget that may not be well known, it can still be done. You just have to be just have to be even more creative about it. But now's not the time to to play it safe. So think about being disruptive, think about impacting culture and uh, the benefits I think will, will surprise you. Well, fantastic. Uh, so we are, unfortunately, we're at the end of our podcast today, but I have one final question for you, which I ask everyone. And so I can't let you go without asking you. Okay. Okay. So if money and talent were of no object, you had unlimited supply of both in anything that you wanted and you weren't doing what you were doing today, you were not a CMO, what would you be doing? Um, well, if it wasn't uh, something philanthropic, uh, this, you probably get this answer a lot, but to me, I'd, I'd probably like to be an architect. And I know, you, again, that may be a cliche, but for me, that seems to be the theme of the day today is I kind of like to use both sides of my brain and, and uh, I like the science and I like the creative side and, and that career feels like it, it, it's a nice balance of both, which is something uh, I, I've enjoyed and continue to enjoy to this day. Wow. Okay. So that is actually not a common answer. Mm -hmm. I can count one other person who's had that answer. I think it was Jennifer Breithoff from City, actually, because oh. her father was an architect. But no, that's cool. And uh, it, it was interesting in the podcast with Jen, we were talking about there are some similarities to marketing as it's about building and designing and being creative, but you need that structural underpinning to make it work. Um, so that's cool. That's cool. All right. Well, maybe, maybe you and Jen should connect on that. Maybe there's Absolutely. something new you guys could do together. Um, open, open, <laughs> open our, our architecture firm in our second life. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. And you'll know how to market that new firm pretty well, I think. So exactly. <laughs> well, very cool. Well, thank you again for joining me today. It was a pleasure to have you on the show. Well, my pleasure, Nadine. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Thank you so much for tuning in today. I hope you enjoyed the show. If you did, I would love your help in sharing CMO Moves with one of your friends or colleagues who you think might enjoy it too. And if you have time, I would really love your review or ratings on Apple or SoundCloud. So thanks again and have a great day. Hey there, are you ready to elevate your personal brand or company? Meet Viral Growth, your one-stop shop for video content and audience building. Imagine growing your brand organically on social media without the hassle of editing videos for hours. With Viral Growth, it's a breeze. They handle the brainstorming, scripting, and editing while you simply just hit record. And don't worry about your niche. They cater to everyone. 
from business and marketing to health and wellness. Are you ready to make waves in the social media realm? Visit viralgrowth.io and use code ADWEEK, that's A-D-W-E-E-K, all lowercase, and get 10% off your plan.